Modane India podcast. My name is Rina Sander. I'm the author of the book, The Modane India, and founder of the NGO, The Modane India. The topic for today's episode is, the time for hydrogen is now. And the guest for today's episode is Knut Linneru. Knut is CEO of Greenstadt Asia, Asia. Greenstadt is a Norwegian energy company with a specific focus on green hydrogen, solar, wind, and zero emission maritime solutions. Knut is an experienced serial entrepreneur with many years of management experiences. In the last couple of years, he has led the startup of the Norwegian hydrogen cluster. Linneru has experience from hydrogen industry and many years of experience in establishing and further developing companies through various phases. In less than four days, Norway Bergen will host the International Climate Summit. Norway will expect a larger business delegation than we had during President Pranab Mukherjee's state visit to Norway in 2014. Knut, you have been heading the planning of the International Climate Summit the past months. We are so happy to have you with us today. Let us dig into hydrogen. Today, there are three main colors of hydrogen, brown, blue, and green. Knut, why green hydrogen? Thank you for the question, Rina. Uh, and uh, first, let me say thank you very much also for the introduction to this uh, podcast. And, uh, and before I answer your question about why green hydrogen, I would also like to answer a little on the side of the question, uh, as I would expect a lot of the listeners not necessarily to know what role hydrogen plays in the natural environment and in our energy systems. So um, uh, maybe for us, it's easy to understand uh, what role hydrogen plays, uh, but at least many people don't know that much about hydrogen. Apart from that, it is an uh, an atom and that it's uh, highly explosive. So first of all, hydrogen is an energy carrier and uh, it plays an important role in the natural environment uh, in the photosynthesis. So plants use sunlight to break apart water into hydrogen and oxygen and then combine the resulting hydrogen with carbon dioxide from the air to create carbohydrates. So in this way, the plants are consuming CO2 from the natural environment and, and uh, carries it in the, in the leaves and in the, and in the cells. And in the same way, uh, the plants represent energy source for all animals and living created creatures on the earth. And uh, is, um, we are dependent on the, the plants to survive on the planet. And also fossil fuels, as most people know, uh, probably that fossil fuels comes from the plants and uh, in the ocean, it's produced uh, natural gas and oil, mainly from algae and uh, other living uh, creatures in the ocean. And on the, on the land, uh, you get coal uh, from uh, from old plants that are being pressurized over millions of years. But unfortunately, over the years, when we consume fossil fuels in a over a short period of time, uh, we don't follow the time lapse 
uh, in the natural ecosystem, in the environment. So that's a challenge. So why green hydrogen is the question. Uh, brown hydrogen is produced from uh, um, reforming of natural gas uh, or uh, using coal as a source for producing hydrogen. And uh, hydrogen is a very important um, energy source in many in many areas, market segments uh, for the human beings. So when we are producing metal, for instance, we need uh, hydrogen. We use it for uh, fertilizers and, uh, yeah, as I said, greening metals, and to produce methanol and to make ammonia for the manufacture of artificial materials, such as plastics. And uh, But green hydrogen is reduced based on renewable energy instead of fossil fuels. So uh, that is the main difference. And uh, similar to the natural environment where hydrogen is being produced in photosynthesis, human beings are copying this process by using renewable energy to produce hydrogen. So uh, uh, going uh, towards green hydrogen is in a way copying the nature and going towards the natural way of the cyclus, where it's uh, uh, in balance with the natural ecosystem. So that was a long answer, maybe, but I, I think that should do. Oh, that was a very good answer, Knut. Um, but thank you for the introduction of photosynthesis and the introduction of these colors. Right now, we see a rapid shift towards renewable energy sources, such as wind and solar power. Ten years ago, renewable hydrogen was too expensive. Now, we see that it can compete fossil fuels. Now, we also need hydrogen not only to get to zero, but it will be a big part of the solution. Why can we not just take and use hydrogen? What are the hurdles for using hydrogen, Knut? Okay. Um, well, uh, it's, it is a in a way, a little bit complex question uh, to answer, but uh, because there are many hurdles. And um, you can see it from a point of view uh, from uh, how hydrogen is working. It's the weight and volume of the, of the atom uh, of hydrogen uh, is uh, very, very uh, demanding because it takes a lot of space if you have it in uh, no or normal pressure so that means that you need a very special storage that can handle storing hydrogen uh, without any leakage also hydrogen is the smallest atom number one in the periodical system and um, and that also makes it hard to to store but it's possible uh, and uh, Hydrogen is also very um, filled of energy, which is why uh, we, uh, when it is uh, kept alone, it's it's very highly filled with energy. So the the challenge uh, right now is that big electrolyzers are in short supply, and uh, plenty of uh, supplies of renewable electricity 
still come at a significant price. So compared to more established production processes, electrolysis is very expensive. And the market for the electrolyzers has been small for over the, over the years. So um, um, while renewable energy production is now sizable enough to, to cause, uh, to cause um, um, cheap energy in periods of times, uh, all, for, all sometimes referred to as duck curves, uh, that uh, makes the opportunity to produce cheap hydrogen but um, it's not uh, stable production from renewable energy as the wind is blowing when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining only during daytime. So that uh, makes it necessary to be able to store this energy and also uh, it gives it a market uh, opportunity. So um, maybe the biggest challenge at uh, this time is to scale up the volume for production of hydrogen to make uh, the production cost cheaper um, and the challenge there then is to get enough funding to do the scaling in the start because it's uh, hard to make it um, profitable in the in the beginning so it so for that reason it has to be a clear collaboration between government uh, also R&D uh, and, uh, and the industry to make this happen. So we need a really quick scale-up of the industry to get the prices down. And that seems to be a catch-22. This was really enlightening, Knut, in every way. I mean, the way you described that the challenges with hydrogen is that it takes space, it requires special storage, uh, it is uh, the smallest atom we have filled with energy. I read somewhere that NASA uses hydrogen uh, when they send the rockets to the space and also that electrolysis is expensive. Um, but the most important thing is exactly what you said in the end, uh, that hydrogen need, uh, that we need to collaborate, which leads me to to other questions later to, uh, later in this podcast. But if you look at Norway, Hydrogen is an industry that has been around for a century already. Uh, hydrogen has historically played an important role in Norway, starting with fertilizer. What is the hydrogen energy's current role in the international marketplace and how will it grow? You might uh, add on India if you want to, but we would like to hear about the international marketplace. Okay. Well, uh, the international marketplace is uh, already uh, quite large, at least compared to... It, it is a large consumption of uh, the brown hydrogen or grey hydrogen, which uh, is produced from uh, fossil fuels. So to start off with, that is a quite exciting uh, area to exchange the fossil fuels being used to produce hydrogen with uh, green hydrogen. Uh, so on a world basis, uh, the demand is around uh, 90 to 100 million tons uh, per year of uh, consumption of hydrogen. And uh, the main consumption is related to 
to the production of uh, or in the industry where it's being used for fertilizers uh, production, ammonia production, methanol production and uh, steel manufacturing. So uh, and in India um, around seven or eight million tons per year is being consumed um, compared to China where you have a consumption of uh, almost 25 million tons per year uh, or roughly a quarter of the global. Interesting. Um, we all, I think, can see and sense and feel um, uh, the interest for hydrogen and everybody looking for collaboration and solutions to solve um, the challenges we are facing. Um, a question that's often posed to those of you working in the hydrogen space is which green technology will win, uh, Knut? Uh, battery or hydrogen? What is your take? Uh, I think uh, my take would be that it's a win-win if uh, both parts uh, win that uh, race in a way. Uh, because I don't see it as a competition, but it's a uh, complementary needs. So hydrogen is uh, better in some places, and in some places it's the only solution. And uh, in a similar way, you could say it with battery. As far as we know, the way of using these two uh, energy carriers in uh, separate ways. But uh, there has been some discussions, uh, particularly in Norway, where we have had a lot of um, implementation of um, battery electric vehicles. And so there has been a lot of discussions going on whether hydrogen should uh, uh, give up uh, on that uh, segment. I don't think that is correct, uh, but uh, the future will show. Um, hydrogen has uh, some advantages uh, in, in comparison to batteries when it comes to tran tra transport segment. And uh, I think it's, uh, there are lots of people who are agree that hydrogen is more uh, attractive for transportation when it comes to larger volumes or larger weights and uh, larger distances because uh, batteries are becoming too heavy for transportation when it's a lot of energy that needs to be stored. Um, but on larger or, or shorter distances, uh, electric cars based on batteries with storage of energy is uh, has the advantage that it's more efficient in the use of the energy. So uh, it, you, you lose a bit of the energy to, to, for heating uh, when you're using hydrogen. And uh, the battery in that regards is more efficient uh, of the use of the energy. But then again, uh, it depends on, uh, on the source of, uh, or, or the, um, the access to hydrogen will become a lot bigger in the future when renewable energy becomes uh, greater in use and uh, you need hydrogen production to to solve the, the whole energy loop in a way. So I don't know if that answered your question, Brina, uh, but uh, please add on if you want me to go deeper into it. Absolutely. You added to at least my knowledge and I'm sure also the listeners 
the fact that you are stating that you see a win-win situation for both battery and hydrogen, you see them as uh, they are complementary to each other and different needs. And um, But I just would like to follow up because Norway has been leading in the electric vehicle space. How was it for you, Knut, to build the Norwegian hydrogen cluster, knowing and seeing that Norway is doing exceptionally well compared to other countries. That's something I really would like you to, if you are willing to share some insight on that. Yes, um, if I understood your question correctly, um, seeing it from a perspective or a Norwegian perspective, uh, I think it's important to, uh, to keep in mind that uh, our country is very significant uh, when it comes to energy resources. We have uh, an enormous amount of hydropower uh, accessible com in comparison to other countries. If you compare Norway to India, for instance, uh, Norway has around 140 terawatt hours of pro energy production per year from hydropower. Uh, and in comparison to India, where you have approximately a production of 175 terawatt hours. So without understanding the the um, definitions or the, the energy directly, you can understand that you have 135 in Norway, 175 in India. It's it's almost the same uh, access of energy in these two countries, even though India is uh, 250 times bigger when it comes to uh, population. So, um, so Norway, Norwegians live in a way in a little kind of a bubble when it comes to the understanding of the energy system. It's hard for us to understand how are the needs in uh, a typical country, other places in the world, where where you don't have this hydropower. Uh, and um, so, from a Norwegian perspective, we have plenty of access to renewable energy. 24-7. In other countries where you have a lot of production of uh, renewable energy, you still have a challenge because the sun is sun, uh, the sunlight is during daytime and the wind is blowing uh, at some times but not at other times. So you're very dependent on uh, the resource that uh, hydropower represents in a way uh, using combining it with hydropower or you need to have uh, other ways of storing energy. So then hydrogen comes in as a potential way of balancing uh, the grid. Uh, uh, and also you need to produce hydrogen to being used in other market segments, such as in transport and, um, and uh, yeah transport and on land transport in the maritime and uh, in the air and uh, you need it needed for uh, production of fertilizer which is highly needed in the agriculture and the industry which has been mentioned a lot uh, already um, and in in any market segment really Oh, a lot of things are happening. Now I would like to uh, move over to the biggest happening of the year, the International Climate Summit in Bergen. Uh, as I said earlier, 
Norway is expecting a large delegation. What are your expectations, Knut? Uh, International Climate Summit is on the 30th and 31st of August, uh, uh, which is uh, next week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And on day one, uh, it's a hybrid event where we expect around 70 people coming from India to Norway, uh, also some people from Sri Lanka and Italy. Uh, so it will be a very exciting uh, conference day uh, on the 30th of August. And that day we have uh, also around 50 presentations. We are split into five parallel sessions to cover all the presentations. Uh, so it will be a very intensive day with a lot of exciting uh, speeches from um, covering the hydrogen field from yeah, from investments to uh, safety and um, technology perspective and from end-use perspectives. Uh, I, I think it's a very important event that uh, has the goal to make a closer collaboration between Norway and India, and uh, not just between the, the industrial side, but also including the R&D uh, and uh, the government. So I think it's a very good uh, start for, for the further collaboration between our two countries. Uh, and I think it's uh, very much needed because Norway has, as you mentioned, uh, Rina, uh, about 100 years of experience within the production of hydrogen field. And uh, we have a lot of en um, experience within energy in in general also. Uh, as from the oil and gas industry, we have a lot of experience with the handling of safety. And uh, all this competency is uh, of high value uh, in a large country like India when they are going to transform the energy uh, in a very short time. So um, I think, yeah, uh, my expectations of this summit is are high uh, from uh, starting point. I think it's a very good starting point uh, for further close collaboration. We already have settled in uh, India from a Green Start perspective, and uh, we would like to see other, uh, other companies uh, come along. Uh, there are other companies already, but I think it's a space for a lot more um, hydrogen. Uh, investments. Congratulations of having a delegation of 70 Indians visiting Norway. Um, you did touch briefly upon it, but I would like to like you to elaborate more. Where do you see the Norway-India collaboration in the future, Knut? Uh, Norway has, as mentioned, a lot of competency and uh, also uh, developed technology, uh, which is of interest from an Indian perspective. And um, from an Indian perspective, they need to uh, have a very quick transition and uh, they need technological uh, competency. So I think uh, a closer collaboration will gain both countries over time. Uh, also, uh, in India, there is a lot of exciting competency on the technology field. 
uh, in particularly within uh, renewable energy and uh, in the R&D field. So I think um, working closer with uh, Indian partners on all these terms uh, within R&D industry and government is gaining both parts with the uh, overall goal of uh, reducing um, climate em emissions and uh, also uh, to yeah, gain a better society for both countries. A big thank you to you, Knut, for sharing your insight and knowledge with us today. I'm sure the listeners have learned something new today. We have come to an end. We at the Moderne India, at Knut, at uh, Greenstadt, we welcome all our listeners to the International Climate Summit on August 30th and 31st in Bergen. It's a hybrid event, event, so you can join digitally as well. This is a summit where the participants can learn more about Norwegian businesses and network with other people and companies operating in Norway and India. As Knut said, we're expecting 70 Indians to join for this conference. We are looking forward to host all of you who are going to join us digitally in Bergen. And I guess, Knut, uh, we both agree that together we all can be the change we want to see. A big thank you to you, Knut, for joining us for this podcast episode and all the best for the summit next week. Thank you very much. It has been my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.